When I was uh, in junior high, it was a beautiful summer day, uh, similar like the ones we've had the last few days. And me and my buddy, his name was David Davidson, had decided to go fishing. And we weren't having much luck. And finally, he caught a pretty good-sized fish. And I'm up on a hill, and I yelled down, what are you using? And he goes, hey, I'm using this magical rubber worm. And I said, can I have one? And he said, no, you have to come get it. Uh, and so I had a decision to make. There was this embankment, 10 or 15 feet embankment, or I could walk down quite a ways and around the creek to get to him. And I'm like, I'm not wasting any time. So I, I got on my bottom and I slid down the embankment and everything was fine, kind of lost my footing and fell, but I fell into this huge yellow jacket nest. And I mean, they're just swarming on me. And I'm, I've got my hands on my face and I'm screaming, David, David, help me! And he shared these gentle, inspirational words. Get up and run, stupid. And I remember... <laughs> running, and I'm just waving my arms, and, and I ran into this barbed wire fence, just gashed myself open, and I remember later, I thought if somebody had been driving by, they probably would have wanted to contact an exorcist, really, I mean, I was so totally out of control, and then it got crazier, because as I was running, I thought, I've got to get into an establishment of some kind, I've got to get out of here, and so I ran to the nearest establishment, it was Judy's Inn, it's a great little bar, in Glen Carbon, Illinois, and I ran in the bar, and, and I'm trying to get my composure. Uh, uh, I think I'm going to die. Anyway, the, so the guys are kind of scrambling the bar. One guy in particular took interest. He sat down, and I remember his glasses. He looks at me, and he, he starts counting. He goes, I, I counted at least 20 beast stings, and there's a lot more. We need to get you home. Now, this is back in the 70s. You know, you would hop in a car with anybody. And I said, oh, go ahead, take me home. So he takes me home. And so in, in my mind... This is over. You know, this episode is over. I got stung a few times. I'm, I'm great. And I go inside, and the guy's talking to my mom. And he said, now, Mrs. Robertson, uh, one or two things going to happen to John. Uh, I have a medical background. Uh, one is he's going to swell up like a pumpkin in a short time. That's actually the best of the two scenarios. The second thing is that has got to come out of his system. He doesn't need to be eating anything. This is going to be one of the longest days of his life. He leaves, and I am already... Do you ever notice when you were in junior high, you have two brain cells, and they never connect, okay? <laughs> and I'm, I'm, I'm just going through this. I'm going through the refrigerator. I'm just throwing everything down. My mom said, you know, that guy, he said he's, he's got a medical background. I go, yeah, he was in a bar. Hello? <laughs> and so I'm eating and eating and eating, and my mom said, I don't think that's a good idea. I just kept eating. About a half hour later started the longest day of my life. Really, it was a terrible day. Now, let me ask you something. Can you think back at times in your life that you have been totally out of control? I don't mean you're running from bees. I mean spiritually out of control. Whereas Paul says in, or excuse me, in Romans 7 that why is it the things that I know that I should do, I don't do those things. And the things that I know that I shouldn't do, why do I keep turning to those ways? Take your scripture with me this morning and turn to Galatians chapter 5. And together, I want to read the fruit of the Spirit one more time. Because I think it's so important to, just for clarity, to look at this one more time. And let's read verses 22 and 23, Galatians chapter 5. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. 
It's not a coincidence that when Paul was writing to Galatia, that these are the bookend characteristics of a selfless life. Love, and then how's he concluded? Self-control. I love this quote that I read, that love keeps us afloat, but self-control keeps us anchored. Love keeps us afloat, but self-control keeps us anchored. Proverbs 25, 28 says this, Like a city whose walls are broken down is a man who lacks self-control. And Haggai 1, 7 says, This is what the Lord Almighty says, Give careful thought to your ways. You know, the Greek word for self-control, it's the same word for countenance and temperance, and it simply means restraining passions and appetites. See, when I mention self-control, that list is endless. You can be out of control in money. You can be out of control with lust. You can be out of control with a toxic relationship. You can be out of control with things in your home. You can be out of control with diet and exercise. That list is limitless. But he says here in the Word that it's so critical that you begin to restrain your passions and your appetites towards God. What's interesting is the opposite is the Greek word akrisa, and that is simply the word that means uh, indulgence. It's the word that we find excess. Now, in our college class, our Sunday school class last week, we were doing a study through James 5, and we were looking at a biblical perspective of wealth. And so this was an, uh, an example that I gave. I said, you know, this brings back some college memories, what I'm going to share with you guys. And so I want to share it with you too. I want to share with you my first car. Here it is coming up. 1966 Dodge Cornette. Now tell me that's not a chick magnet, huh? Look at that thing. <laughs> the key is it was $1,000, okay? But here's the memory that I have going to college. It was the same thing all my years of college. Every, every earthly possession that I had, I could fit in that car. Can you relate? Remember you go to college and everything you owned, you could fit in that car. And then crazy things happen in life. You get married. You have kids. You have pets. And next thing you know, you have a big move. Do you remember your last big move, what it took to move you? Was that not like one of the longest, most miserable days of your life? Like this circus, this caravan pulls in, and you can't believe you've accumulated that much stuff. See, we can totally relate with a country with excess. That's why when God's Word talks about self-control, man, that is so hard for us to comprehend. It's hard to comprehend when 2.6 billion people make less than $2 a day. Now think about that. In our world, 2.6 billion people don't even make $2 a day. And yet God cries out to us and says, you need self-control. Years ago, John F. Kennedy, as president, went through a terrible, terrible season in his life. It was his first year presidency, and he gathered his military intelligence together, and they were invading Cuba. Maybe some of you remember historically what happened. It was called the Bay of Pigs. And it was a disaster. And so here was John F. Kennedy now facing the press. And his own cabinet was surprised when John F. Kennedy opened up that press conference after the Bay of Pigs, and these are the words that he shared. The victory has 100 fathers, 
but defeat is an orphan. What matters is only one fact, that I am the responsible officer of this government. In other words, there was a terrible mistake that was made, we lost lives, and I take personal responsibility. And so I thought a lot about preparing for this message on self-control, and I thought, here's one angle. I can come across like I have my act together and tell you how you need to be in control of your life. And that would make me a huge hypocrite. Or I could just be honest and say, you know what? I struggle with things just like you. And I thought, what is an area of my life that I need control over? And so I want to share with you what would go in what I would call my self-control issue. Okay, here's my issue. Anger. If I had a nickel every time I was a kid that I threw something or hit something or somebody, I would be a wealthy man. And I've had to battle anger my whole life. And just about the time I think I've got a handle on it, it, it just crops up in different ways. It's interesting, um, we had a Bible study a few months ago with my uh, men's Bible study groups called the Wild Hogs. And... Uh, a very spiritual group. Anyway, we, um, <laughs> we were going through the Sermon on the Mount, and we got to anger. And I, I tell you what, I was so moved by how honest and authentic these guys were. All of us were sharing, you know what, I've got to deal with this in my life. Because even though I can cover it up in some ways, it comes through time and time again. Matter of fact, the book we were studying is by James Byron Smith. I recommend it highly. Uh, we have all three books of his in in our bookstore, and he said there are two types of anger. One is visceral, and the other one is meditative. Now, here's visceral. Visceral is what some people would say is having a quick fuse, okay? Here's some examples of that. You're driving, you're late, getting home, and somebody runs a four-way stop while talking on their cell phone. You ever had that happen? Or in the next two weeks, you're driving close to the campus. One word, freshman, okay? And you look down the one-way streets and you go, really? Really? Okay, you know that sensei? It's when a waitress spills their water on you. And here's a big one. It's when somebody takes your pew at church. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. It's that quick fuse and we can relate to what it is that gets us. But then meditative anger, now that's different. It's like a slow boiling stew. And we're pretty good at controlling it. I'm pretty good at controlling it. I can go to church and I can smile and I can high five everybody. And there can be somebody who really annoys me and I'm just, oh, praise the Lord. <laughs> and then I get home. Do you know who I take the anger out on? My family. The people who actually are in my corner who love me the most are the very people that I just spill that anger on. So even though I think I've got a control, there are times I realize, God, I really don't have a handle on this yet. And I continually have to go before God and say, God, okay, I realize I'm a work in progress, so please work with me. Proverbs 26, 18 and 19, I want you to turn to that very powerful section of scripture, because here's a couple ways I realize I cover up my anger. One is sarcasm. I think sarcasm is a spiritual gift sometimes, and uh, I use it. <laughs> Maybe some of you can relate. 
And the other one is, this is an interesting scripture. Look at this, Proverbs 26, verse 18 and 19. Like a madman shooting firebrands or deadly arrows is a man who deceives his neighbor and says, I was only joking. It's where you throw out that dig and you know it hurt. And then you follow up and say, hey, you know what? I'm just messing with you. I'm just kidding. And deep down, you know you weren't kidding. And so God says, even though you think you have certain handles on things in life, don't be afraid to look in the mirror and say, God, I really don't have control. You need to take control. So this morning, I simply want to share with you two takeaways from this whole idea of self-control. Number one, there is no such thing as self-control. It's not about self. It's really about self-denial. It's about clothing yourself in Christ. I love what Beth Moore said in her study on the fruit of the Spirit. She said the Holy Spirit develops us in the pursuit of holiness. That's what the Holy Spirit does. But the fruit of the Spirit, those are the attributes that we are to become, not that come naturally to us. Now, did you catch that? Because that is, that's a huge point. It isn't natural to have the gentleness of Christ as we reach out to others. It isn't natural to love others the way that Christ loved. It isn't natural to be in control. That's not natural. That isn't natural at all. But when you allow God's spirit to start getting into your life, you realize that you're growing in Christ. I always share with people, they'll say, as a minister, what is it that keeps you going? What is it that keeps your faith strong? And here's one of the things that keep my faith strong. I share with people, I'd say, because I have seen transformation time and time again. And there's no other way to explain it other than Jesus Christ. I have seen people over years become totally different people. And there's only one explanation. It's Jesus Christ. It is the grace of Jesus Christ. He can change you. He can change me. Whatever it is this morning, whatever area of your life that you feel like, God, I am not in control, you need to know that through the grace of Jesus Christ, he can gain control. He can gain control. My question then is, number two is simply this, the second takeaway is, are you willing to be still, seriously be still, and listen for his voice? To illustrate that this morning, I have a new friend. Her name is Sherry Newcomer. Would Sherry come out? And Sherry has a friend we'd like to introduce you to, and his name is Shooter. Everybody say hi to Shooter. All right, so uh, <laughs> here we go. I've asked a handful of people here if they'll just call out the name Shooter, and he'll, he'll come to them, I'm sure. Uh, Tim Thompson, see in the house? Tim is up in the balcony. He moves on me every service. Tim, it's, it's great to have you in the worship service this morning. Okay. Tim, would you call Shooter? All right. You know, that dog is sharper than you. Tim tells you to stand up, sit down, worship, you do it. Boom. No way. Okay, Pam. Pam's got a, a great voice. And so, Pam, would you call Shooter? Yeah. Well, Shooter definitely likes Pam better than Tim, but that's not working. Ken Mitchell, where's Ken? Now, Ken is a semi-retired school teacher over at Edgewood. He has influenced countless men and women. Call out Shooter. Shooter, come on. 
<laughs> Just like Edgewood, isn't it, kid? All right. Sherry. Oh, if that only worked with teenagers. <laughs> I don't know if you heard Sherry's word. Did you guys hear the word? Free. Man, I just love that. Free. We are in this daily struggle in our lives, spiritually, to connect with God. And he's just saying, I want to set you free. I want to set you free. And we come to God and we say, God, why is it this area in my life I just cannot. And he's like, okay, I'm with you. Because here's the, here's the answer. You ready for this? We are all works in progress. Everybody here today. But man, if we would just start listening to his voice, what could happen? So I want you to think about this morning, what would be your spiritual, what would be your control issue, your self-control issue? And for just a few moments of silence, I simply want you to focus on that. Say, God, here's the area of my life I need to work on. And silently, let's just focus on that. Let's pray.
I want you to think about the fact that we've been silent for three minutes and how long that three minutes seemed. One of the things that is an extreme honor uh, to be a part of Sherwood Oaks and the family is uh, on staff uh, with the ministers, what they've done is your seventh year of service at Sherwood Oaks, you're given a six-week sabbatical. It's just been an unbelievable experience. And so six different Sundays, I tried to experience totally different worship experiences. And one was a Quaker church here in town. And during that service, the first 15 minutes, it was total silence. And it was interesting. I could actually hear the guy next to me swallow. It was that quiet. And then finally somebody spoke, and then I felt God just start working me over. John, why was that so unnerving for you? How many times did you look at your watch during that 15 minutes? Why do you have such a hard time listening? You're good at talking. You're good at telling me what to do, but you're not very good at just listening for my voice. So is it any wonder when you have these struggles in your life that you still struggle? You haven't learned to surrender. You haven't even learned to listen. Psalms 46.10 Be still and what? Know that I am God. My challenge is, is we begin this service and then go out to the world that you begin to listen, that I begin to listen more. So as Quentin sings this song, I want you to, number one, just focus on the words. But number two, I want to challenge you to do something else. When I was in chapel back years ago at Bible College, every so often we would have a service of surrender and we would get on our knees. So for those of you that feel comfortable, I want to challenge you during this song actually to get on your knees and surrender to God. Say, God, I'm yours. Whatever you can do, do. And if nothing else, to just listen. But for some of you, it may be, uh, we'll have some folks up front just to come up and say, you know what, I need help. I need help. Or maybe you need to get a friend and you need to come down and you need to pray. But this is your time. It's your time to, to connect with God.